0: All too often, it feels like when we do series on families or we do sermons on marriage or parenting, it feels like what we're doing is giving marital advice or we're giving parenting advice. And trust me, I'm the last person in the world to give marriage advice or parenting advice. And this, I believe, is the last place in the world where it's appropriate to give marriage advice or parenting advice. That's not what we're doing this morning. What we're doing this morning, what we're doing in this series, is we're talking about how the gospel, specifically how the grace of God, how God's commitment to saving people, to making us his own possession, God making us his family, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, how that changes everything, how his commitment to us changes how we go to work and how we go to school and how we interact with our next-door neighbor and how we interact with people on the freeway and how we interact with people at the grocery store and how we interact with our husband or wife or how we interact with our children. Our commitment to each other Our commitment to how we live our lives is a response to God's commitment to us. So what we're talking about is not marriage advice, and it's not parenting advice, and it's not Wes's thoughts on 12 ways to a better marriage or anything like that. It is God's word telling us, if you believe this is true, if you have accepted this gospel truth, this is how you live your life. See, because Christianity changes it changes everything. I've told you the story before. I was talking to a guy one time and, you know, we were standing out talking about baptism and he says, Wes, listen, I know I need to get baptized and I know that's the next step for me. And I said, good, that's great. You know, and we were talking about what needed to happen after that. He said, you know, I, I know I need to start going to church. But I mean, what else? I mean, it's like, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, what else do I need to change? That's pretty much it, right? Just start going to church? I looked at him, I said, no, everything changes. Everything changes. You're still married to the same person. You still work the same job. Those things don't change. But why you do them... The purpose behind it, your, your motivation, as Dave said so beautifully in the communion focus today, before we, we were motivated selfishly to do things with a motivation that I just, I just want to be nice to you so that you'll be nice to me. I'm going to do good for you so that you'll do good for me. I'll scratch your back and you scratch mine kind of a thing. You see, but when you become a Christian, that changes. Even the goal and the purpose of marriage changes. You know, and I got to thinking about that this week and I thought, do we, do we know what that is? I mean, whether you're married or not married, you need to know, right? What is the, what is the goal of marriage? What's the purpose? Of marriage. I mean, think about it like this. Imagine if you're running a marathon. And for me, I'll just have to imagine it because I'm never going to do that. But, you know, (laughs) just, just imagine running a marathon. You're out there. You're, you're working as hard as you can. And somebody runs up beside you and says, you know, I have no idea what we're doing. What, what are we trying to accomplish? Where are we going? What is it that we're, I mean, you look at it. You, why are you, why are you out here? If you don't know what it is you're doing. If you don't know what the goal is, if you don't know what the purpose is, if you don't know what direction you're headed or what it means to win or to lose, what is it that you think that you're doing? What does winning look like? Well, in a race, you know what winning looks like. You know what losing looks like. You know what doing well looks like. You know what doing poorly looks like. But what about marriage? What's the goal of marriage? What's the intention of marriage? What's the purpose of marriage? What does winning at marriage look like? What does losing at marriage look like? Uh, The last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about commitment. And so you might think, well, winning at marriage looks like just staying together. (laughs) I mean, that's good. I mean, I guess, you know, staying together, that's good. But that's kind of a low bar, isn't it? (laughs) Just stay together? I think the bar is higher than that, don't you? But... But the world might say, well, the goal of marriage, the purpose of marriage is to be happy. It's for you to be happy and for your spouse to be happy. But but again, if that's our target, if that's our goal, it's kind of a moving target, isn't it? As I've said before, you know, some days what makes me happy is getting up early, hitting the treadmill, eating well, and other days what makes me happy is a big, huge bowl of ice cream. I mean, that makes me really happy, right? Some days what makes me happy is spending time with my kids, and some days what makes me happy is them spending time with grandparents, right? You know? (laughs) I mean, what makes me happy today is different than what makes me happy tomorrow or what made me happy yesterday. That happiness is a is a fleeting thing. It's a changing thing. Is that really what you think the goal of marriage is? The purpose of marriage, the intention of marriage, what, what winning at marriage looks like is just being happy or making somebody else happy. If that's your goal, good luck. Because I know for me, some days I'm just not happy, and it has nothing to do with what Holly is doing or not doing. It's just I'm having a bad day. Man. It doesn't mean she's failing at marriage. It doesn't mean that I'm failing at marriage. And, and, and more than anything, that that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus and His apostles teach. Is the goal, the purpose of marriage. So what I want to look at today is what. Paul says, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, is the secret of marriage. You like that? I like that. The secret of marriage. What's the, what's the secret to marriage? The secret of marriage? What, what is that? So let's look at Ephesians. So if you got your Bible, we'll be in the book of Ephesians. And just to kind of give you a little bit of an introduction, when we talked about this, I'm sure you remember it really, really well, you know, because it was January of last year. You remember that whole series, right? January of last year, every word. No, uh, but... Last year, in the beginning of the year, we talked about having a better life, right? We talked about living better. And it wasn't just a matter of trying harder. It was a matter of living our life in light of the gospel. Enlightened by the gospel, we we try enlightened. We live an enlightened life. Rather than just working harder and trying harder, the gospel changes the way we look at everything. And Paul spends a lot of time in the book of Ephesians talking about when you're in Jesus, you are a new human being, a new anthropos, a new creature, a new man, a new human. Amen. What does that look like? What does that look like? I mean, I we know what, humanity looks like. We know what it looks like to live as a as a normal, regular man or woman, human being. We know what that looks like. We've done that. We can turn on the TV. We can walk out our door. We know what humanity looks like. We know what being a husband looks like or being a wife looks like in a normal sort of way, and we've all done that. But Paul says, you see, but the gospel, when you're in Jesus, you became a new human, And you live and do everything differently. In fact, he'll say that we are to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. He talks about what sort of life that looks like, qualities like this. Listen, humility and gentleness, patience, honesty, purity generosity, thankfulness. See, whether you're married or not, that's beside the point, isn't it? Whether you're married or not, because a lot of us are married and a lot of us are not married. And maybe you're not married because you're divorced or because you're widowed or because you haven't been married yet, whatever it is, but you know married people, don't you? I mean, we all know married people. And chances are we all know married Christians and married Christians who are struggling in their marriage. And maybe we ourselves are married Christians who are struggling in our marriage to figure out what's this all about? How do I live? And and so Paul is saying in this big picture that no matter what your marital relationship is or your family relationship is, these are the kinds of qualities that should define you. This is what it looks like to live as a new human being. Humility and gentleness, patience, honesty, purity, generosity, thankfulness. Would that change everything? Would that change the way you go to work? Would that change your marriage? If you lived out the gospel in humility and gentleness and purity and honesty. And see, then Paul goes into in Ephesians chapter 5, and he describes point by point, because I'm sure this letter is being read to, to a church family like ours in Ephesus. Ephesus. And he reads it and he says, now wives, here, this is how you live out your new humanity. This is how you live as a new creation. Husbands, here's how you live it out. And children, here's how you live it out. And dads, here's how you live it out. If you're a servant of someone, here's how you live it out. If you're a master of someone, here's how you live it out. In other words, no matter who you are or what role you have in a family relationship, you are to live out the good news. Live in response to the good news. This isn't advice. This is Christianity. This is what Christianity looks like in a family. So, if you got your Bible, Ephesians chapter five and verse twenty-two, Ephesians five twenty-two. So he says, now, "Now I know the second word isn't going to be real popular." Okay, so so hold on to it though. Okay, and, and and we just sang a song, didn't we? "Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." just to take him at his word. Wives, here's how you live out your new humanity. Submit to your own husbands. Not just period, not not submit to your husbands, period, but submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as, or as a picture, here's, here's how you're to submit as as if you're submitting to the Lord himself. No, not because your husband is, is Jesus, or maybe even not because your husband is even like Jesus. Maybe your husband is nothing like Jesus. But as a response to what Jesus did for you, you submit to your husband in the same kind of way that you submit to Jesus, For the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, here, again, here's the picture. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, what does that mean to submit? What, it doesn't mean you don't have an opinion, right? Doesn't mean don't have an opinion. That doesn't even mean don't voice your opinion. But it means means don't fight him. Right? And that's what it means to submit. I mean, and again, wives aren't the only ones who are told to submit. In fact, in the previous verse, in Ephesians 5.21, he tells Christians, submit to each other. And in Romans 13, he tells us to submit to the governing authorities. In Philippians chapter 2, that was read during our communion focus, Jesus himself Submitted. You see, Christianity and submission go hand in hand. If you don't like submission, you don't like Christianity. That's a hard truth, isn't it? Because Jesus had to submit himself, and in response to his submission, we submit ourselves to each other and to the governing authorities. And and again, when when the governing authorities told Christians what to do and what not to do, it doesn't mean they don't have an opinion. It, It meant that they don't fight and they don't rebel They're not rebellious. They they allow, they allow, they put themselves under, that's what it means to submit, to arrange yourself under the authority of someone else. And they let someone else be in charge. That can be hard, can't it? But again, Paul says, but here's your picture and here's your why. Your why is that Jesus did that and the church does that to Jesus, that we submit to Jesus and as a Christian wife, Here's what you're to do. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And now why? Why? Because if you submit to them and you're respectful to them, your marriage will be perfect and it'll be happy and he'll be he'll suddenly become the nicest, most romantic, most wonderful man in the whole world. Maybe, but I don't I wouldn't count on it. That's not what it says, is it? That, that Paul isn't just giving us advice for how to have a happy marriage. He's giving us instructions for how to have a God-glorifying marriage. And he says, Wives, here's what you need to do. Live out the gospel in your marriage. Submit to Him as the church submits to Jesus. Live out that picture in your marriage. Now, Now, then he's gonna, now, now, husbands, that part is for your wives. You're, you're supposed to kind of plug your ears on that part. Your, your job isn't to make her do what she's supposed to do. Your job is to do what you're supposed to do and you leave her obedience up to her. Okay? Right? Our job isn't to say, hey, wife, look what it says. It says to submit. There's been too much of that happen, I think. We need to listen to what Jesus says to us through Paul. So let's look at the next part as he begins to talk to husbands and how we live out the gospel. Verse 25. Husbands, Love your wives. Love your wives. How? Why? As Christ loved the church. Not love your wives because, as Dave said, happy wife, happy life. Make her happy so that your life is easier. No, 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 no. Love your wife with the picture in your mind. How how should I love her? As Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her, he sacrificed everything for her. And not just you as an individual, but you as in you all, right? Y'all, all all y'all. He he loved all y'all, and he, he gave everything so that you could be his. He gave everything to purify you and sanctify you and save you and redeem you and justify you. He did all of that for us. And Paul says, if you believe that... If you accept that, if you build your life on that, if you're in Jesus, then you use that as a model for how you love your wife. And if you're a wife and you believe these truths, then you submit to your husband's headship and leadership the same way that the church submits to Jesus. Now, now you might say, well, well, I'm single, Wes. I'm not married, so this lesson doesn't apply to me. It absolutely applies to you because when was the last time you were asked for marital advice? Whether you're a parent or a grandparent or maybe you're not married yet and your friends are getting married, whatever it is, you probably interact with married people and they're asking you for advice and they're crying on your shoulder and asking you what you think of things. Is this what you go back to? Do you let the gospel... The good news about Jesus inform you and teach you and train you and shape you to say, this is what marriage is supposed to be. This is what it's supposed to look like. And, and just imagine, I know, I know that there are no perfect husbands or perfect wives, but, but what if church, what if two Christian people decided, I'm going to do this. I'm going to love my wife as Jesus loves the church. And wives were to say, I'm going to submit to my husband as the church is supposed to submit to Jesus. And they were to love each other in this way and submit to each other in this way and serve sacrificially each other this way. Even when the other one's having a bad day and even when they're grumpy and they're having a bad hair day and they got up on the wrong side of the bed and things aren't going right. No matter what they say, I'm committed to this kind of relationship. Can you can you even imagine... What would happen? Do you think, you think that would make for better or worse marriages? Do do you think that that would make for better or worse adornings of the gospel so that the world would look and say there's, there's something unusual about these people? It's a sad state of affairs when Christian marriages look just like pagan marriages. It's a sad state of affairs when Christian marriages break up at the same rate as pagan marriages. It's a sad state of affairs when Christian husbands love their wives like the world loves their wives. It's a sad state of affairs when Christian women submit to and respect their husbands like pagan women do their husbands. The gospel says if you believe this, it changes everything. It changes what you think a successful marriage looks like. Let's keep reading. And and Paul keeps on with the husbands. I I guess we need a little bit more, don't we? Uh, Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now, he hasn't switched to a different metaphor. He's still talking about Jesus and the church. He says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies because he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. The fundamental truth about marriage in the Bible is that when two people get married, they're no longer two, but one. That's the fundamental foundational truth of marriage from a biblical worldview. That when two people marry, they are not two, but one. And so Paul says, you see, when when you love your wife, you're, you're loving your own flesh, your own body, because you've become one. And nobody ever hates his own body. Nobody says, sorry, stomach, you're hungry, you know? I mean, just deal with it. Tough luck, right? You know, I'm sorry, hand, you're hurt. Sorry, tough luck. That's you. That's not me. No, it is you. When your body is hurt, or your body is hungry, or your body is cold, or your body is getting rained on, you protect it. You cherish it. You nourish it. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, provides for and protects. The word cherish literally literally means to keep warm. When your arms are shivering, you don't even think about it. You keep them warm. And this is the way Jesus takes care of the church, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. See, Paul is saying, when Jesus died for all y'all, you became a part of him, you became his body, and so he nourishes you and cherishes you. He keeps you warm. He, he wants to make sure that you're taken care of, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Husbands, what would that look like for you to cherish your wife? Physically? Keeping her warm physically? Keeping her warm spiritually? Keeping her warm emotionally? Paul says, listen, you're, you're one now. And your picture of that oneness, your picture of how do I live out that oneness is Jesus and his people. The way Jesus takes care of his people and the way his people submit to his headship and leadership, that that's marriage. That's what Christian marriage should look like. And I'll tell you, if you're anything like me, you you read this and, and you realize you need to repent. And you need to change the way you've been living out your marriage. Because a lot of us, we have, we've been doing what we're doing because it makes it easier on us. Too many husbands aren't being the head of their household and leading their household and nourishing their household and cherishing their household and loving their household because it, it makes for a little bit of friction and they just don't want to deal with the friction so they just go work a job and come home and don't do anything. That's not biblical headship. And too many husbands have wives that are cold and hurting and they're not nourishing them and cherishing them as Jesus does the church. And too many wives, too many wives are letting the television and politics, 21st century America and the Western world teach them how they ought to be women and how they ought to be wives instead of God's word. The gospel is our model for Christian marriage. Let's keep reading. Verse 31, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24, isn't it? From the very beginning, this is marriage. A husband leaves his father and mother, clings to his wife, and they become one. One flesh. But then he says something shocking. Verse 32, This mystery, and I think mystery is an interesting word because, I mean, that sounds like well, I can't understand a mystery, you know. I mean, mystery is something that's just mysterious. The word here doesn't mean something mysterious that you can't understand. It's something that's been hidden, and now it's being revealed. It's a secret. And Paul's telling us a secret. God, through Paul, Jesus, through Paul, is telling us a secret, a secret about marriage. He says, all the way back there, you see, when a husband leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh... I'll tell you a secret about that. That's a picture of Jesus and the church. Oh, that's, a, that's a picture of Jesus. You want to understand Jesus and the church? You need to understand that it's two, the church, people, humanity, and Jesus becoming one, one body. That, that's the secret. And then he goes on to say, and here's how that secret applies to you, verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband It's pretty simple, isn't it? when we see it that the secret, here's the secret, as Paul puts it, the secret of marriage is the gospel, right? The secret of marriage, the secret to marriage, is the gospel. Now does that mean you'll always be happy? No, you're a human being. Sometimes you get up on the wrong side of the bed, right? I mean, some days you don't have enough ice cream in the house. I mean, some days you're just not going to be happy, okay? But you can always bring glory to God. Even on the worst days, you can bring glory to God by deciding that this picture of Jesus sacrificially loving the church and the church humbly and respectfully submitting to Jesus, this is gonna be our picture of what successful marriage looks like. And this is what we're going to strive, as imperfect as we are, as broken as we are, this is what we're going to strive to live out In our marriage. And if you're single, this is the, the direction to which you will point people. You'll point people to the cross. That's what we do as Christians, isn't it? And we say, Jesus makes life better. Better. Because he shows you where the pitfalls are. And he washes away the mistakes and the sins and the failures. He brings you into his body. He nourishes you and cherishes you. And he wants to do that for every single living human being. And he wants to change the way we do life, the way we live our life. Because let's face it, we're not doing so hot, are we? I mean, we really want to take advice from the people that didn't invent marriage or the one who did. God invented marriage. He invented pleasure. He invented happiness. He invented joy. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus and just to take him at his word. This is the secret to marriage, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's keep our eyes on the cross, not only for our forgiveness, the atonement of our sins, but for how we live our lives, submitting to each other, loving each other, walking through life humbly with each other, generously with each other, forgiving each other, gracious with each other. And in our marriages, husbands, love your wife as Jesus loved the church. And wives, see to it that you respect your husbands. This is how we live out the gospel in our marriage relationships. But maybe somebody's hurting this morning. I know there are people hurting this morning. And I know that praying with and exposing that to your brothers and sisters in Christ can help. You need a shoulder to lean on. You need a shoulder to cry on. You need someone to pray with you because of a marriage situation or because of any situation. We are in this together. After services, our shepherds are going to meet in my office, and our prayer room. They would love nothing more than to pray with you and pray for you. Or right now, we're going to offer you an invitation. Come forward as together we stand and sing.